Well, good morning, church. Thank you for being here, and we're grateful if you are guests that you've come to worship the Lord with us today, and I hope to get a chance to meet you at the end of the service. I'll be out front, and I hope you'll come by and introduce yourself if you are a guest. Hey, uh, go ahead and take your Bible, either turn it on or turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me tell you something that we're going to be doing in the month of February as a follow-up to what we did in January. You know, this past month in January, we've done a series in the book, uh, or a series called Shaped by the Word. And as we've gone through that series on the Bible, we thought a good follow-up this month would be for you to bring your old Bibles that are in good condition to donate them so that people around the world in English-speaking countries who don't have a copy of God's Word could have their own personal copy. And so here's what we're asking you to do. Look on your bookshelves, look on your nightstand, look in your office. I bet you've got more than one copy of God's Word in your home. You probably have several copies and some of them you don't use anymore. They're just sitting there collecting dust. What if you could take that Bible or those Bibles Bring it to us. We take it to a ministry in North Carolina. And what if that Bible sitting on your nightstand actually was placed in the hands of some dear person in Africa who has no copy of God's Word, who they've never owned a copy of God's Word. And so that's what we're wanting to do. We want to take those Bibles that we're no longer using and put them to use again, okay? Now, if you want to buy some new Bibles, go for it. We're fine with that. But we're actually targeting those Bibles that are sitting around our houses and our offices and they're not being used. Let's put them to use. Put them in the hands of people who don't have a copy of God's Word. Now today, we're in the book of Ephesians and today we're starting a new brief series called My Prayer for You. In this series, we're going to be looking at the prison prayers of the Apostle Paul. Let me give you the context before we start even reading so you can understand what I mean by prison prayers. The year was around AD 60 to 62, somewhere in that time frame. Paul was imprisoned in Rome as a minister of the gospel. During that time, while he was in Rome in prison, during that time, Paul wrote four letters that are now included in our Bibles. Those Three of those letters were written to churches, and one was to an individual. The three letters written to churches were Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And the one letter written to, uh, to an individual was Philemon. So in this series, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at the three letters that Paul wrote to the churches while he was in prison. Because in those three letters are three prison prayers that Paul prayed for those people that he had pastored. So... That's what we're going to be doing during the month of February, at least the three weeks of February. We're going to be looking at the prison prayers of Paul. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions as we get started. First question is this. When do you usually pray for other believers? And the second question is, how do you usually pray for other believers? I think I probably can answer both questions. I think I know what your answer would be. Here's when you pray for other believers. You usually pray for other believers when they have a problem, when they have something going wrong in their lives or in their family. Here's how you pray for them. You pray that God would help them with that problem. You pray that God would meet their needs. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with that approach. We ought to pray for one another during difficult times. If I'm going through a difficult time, I want you to pray for me. And so there's nothing wrong with that approach. But why is it we don't pray for one another when things are going well? Again, I think I know the answer. We feel like they don't need our prayers then, right? I mean, if the kids are healthy, if the marriage is solid, if you have a job, if your finances are adequate, what is there to pray for? Well, Paul shows us in the text today and for the next several weeks, he shows us what we can pray for as we pray for other Christians that we know. And I want to show you a prayer that you can pray for any Christian regardless of what they're, uh, they're going through. We're going to be opening the text today. We're going to be opening God's Word. And, and I want to show you a prayer that you can pray for anybody who's a believer. It might be your spouse, it might be your kids, it might be your grandkids, it might be a neighbor, uh, it might be someone in church, but it's a prayer that you can pray for anybody who's a believer. In fact, as you look at this prayer with me this morning, I I can't think of a greater prayer for you to pray for your children or grandchildren. I I can't think of a better prayer for you to pray for your spouse. I I can't think of a better prayer that's more suitable for you to pray for your boyfriend or girlfriend who knows the Lord. I can't think of a more appropriate way for you to pray as you pray for your pastor and as you pray for your staff. So let's look at the first prison prayer that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, the church in Ephesus was probably one of the most effective and evangelistic churches that Paul ever pastored. He started that church, and he spent three years of his life developing that church. He spent three years of his life pouring into those people. He was developing them and and discipling them and building that church. And around A.D. 61, Paul finds himself in prison in Rome. And as he's in prison in Rome, his mind goes towards those people that he knew back in Ephesus. The people that he pastored in Ephesus. The church that he loved in Ephesus. And he wrote out a prayer as he prayed to the Lord for his friends in that church in Ephesus. Now notice how he begins this in verse 15. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. Paul says, "I, I heard about you. Someone apparently came to Rome from Ephesus. They were visiting Paul while he was in prison, and apparently they told Paul how the church was doing. Paul was so impressed by what he heard at that time that that when he sat down to write this letter, he's still thanking God. He's still praising God for the people in Ephesus and how God is working in their lives. And in this prayer that Paul prays, he shows us three ways that we can pray for other Christians. So I want to encourage you to write some stuff down today. I'm going to be giving you some things that will help you to pray for your spouse, that will help you to pray for your children or your grandchildren, that will help you to pray for your friends. So I want to make sure I encourage you to write these things down today. First of all, as Paul gives us three different ways that we can pray for other Christians, here's the first one. Number one, thank God for the people He's brought into your life. Just thank God for the people He's brought into your life. Look what Paul says in verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. 
The Living Bible translates that this way. I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. That would be a great prayer for you to pray for your spouse, wouldn't it? A great prayer to pray for your children or your Christian friends or your parents. I have never stopped thanking God for you and I pray for you constantly. You, as you're praying that, you might even want to let those people know. You listen, listen, I just want you to know, I've never stopped praying, I've never stopped thanking God for you and I pray for you constantly. What a wonderful thing for you to say to your children. What a wonderful thing for you to say to your spouse. What a wonderful thing to, to say to that dear friend who's struggling. Just, just say to them, listen, I just want you to know, I've, I've never stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly. That's straight out of Scripture. And if you can't say it to them personally for whatever reason, put it in a card and send it to them. That's essentially what Paul did here. He wrote it in a letter, and he sent it to the people. In other words, here's what that first point means. Don't take the Christians in your life for granted. Take the time to thank God for them, and don't forget to pray for them. Don't take them for granted, and don't start your prayers as you're praying for other people. Don't start your prayers by God help them, God bless them, God... Don't start your prayers asking. Start your prayers as you're praying for other people. Start your prayers by thanking God for them. Thanking God that He's brought them into your life. Thanking God that you have the privilege to be their husband or their wife. Thanking God that you have the privilege to be their daddy or their mother. Thanking God that you had the parents that you had. Start your prayers as you're praying for other believers. Thanking God that they're your dear friends. Thank God for who they are and that God brought them into your life. That's where you start praying. Here's number two. Ask God to give them a deeper relationship with Jesus. Ask God to give them a deeper relationship with with Jesus. Verse 17. I keep asking. Would you underline that? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I keep asking. This is important. It is so important, Paul was saying. This is so important that I keep praying this over and over and over. This is so important that I keep asking. And it's not just that I prayed one time for you this way, but I continue to pray this way for you. And I continue to pray it over and over and over. You see, Paul knew that they knew God. This was not, he's not praying for their salvation. He knew that they knew God. If you look at verse 13 and 14, it's very evident that they knew God. Verse 13 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. They knew God. That was not the issue. But Paul also knew a very important principle. If you're, even though you know God, watch this, listen, even though you know God, if you're not growing in that relationship with God, then you're growing cold. And so Paul says, listen, I'm praying. I'm praying that you'll have a deeper relationship with Jesus because meeting God through Jesus Christ is important, but growing in that relationship is just as important. But Paul says, I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying that you'll have a continuing, growing, deeper relationship. Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. You don't want to go to a doctor who went to medical school in 1963 and hasn't learned anything since then. Right? You want to go to a doctor who, when he leaves medical school, he's never finished learning. 
You want to go to a doctor who, who, who is continuing to learn and grow as a doctor because week by week, sometimes day by day, there are new techniques, there are new treatments, there are new medicines. And, and you want a doctor who wants to help his patients. And because he wants to help his patients, he wants to continue to learn and to grow as a doctor. It's like that in the Christian life as well. The Christian life could be described simply as this, getting to know Jesus better and better day by day. Now, I want you to underline something in Texas. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to misunderstand it. In the end of verse 17, Paul says, I'm praying that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And here's the reason. So that, underline this, so that you may know Him better. Paul's not talking about knowing more about Jesus. He's not talking about increasing your knowledge of Jesus. He's not talking about learning more verses about Jesus. Paul is saying, I'm not praying that you would increase your head knowledge of who He is. I'm praying you would deepen your relationship with Him. You would know Him better and better. You see, it's not enough just to know Him as Savior. You need this deeper, ongoing relationship with Him. The Living Bible translates it this way. I'm asking God to give you wisdom to see clearly and to really understand who Christ is and all that He's done for you. So, here's what I encourage you to do as you pray for other Christians around you. You need to keep asking God to help those people that you know and love to know Jesus better and better. Keep asking God. As Paul says, I keep on asking, I keep on asking. Keep on asking and don't stop asking as you're praying for your spouse, as you're praying for your kids, as you're praying for your friends. Don't stop asking. Even when it doesn't look like you don't see any changes, don't stop praying. And here's why. That's the reason you're praying, isn't it? Because you want to see change. You want to see growth. So even if you don't see it, don't stop praying. I mean, Paul said it so clearly in this text. I keep asking. God to do this in your life. Listen to me, church. If it's worth praying about, it's worth continuing to pray about. That'd been a good place for you to put an amen. Just, just suggestion. Just suggestion. Here's a third way Paul shows us how to pray for other believers. Number three is this. And this we're really going to get deep here, so I need you to follow closely. But third way that you can pray for other believers is this. Ask God to keep them focused on what they have in Him. I'll say that again. As you're praying for other believers, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, whoever it may be, ask God to keep them focused on what they have in Him. Notice how Paul introduces this in verse 18. He says, I pray also. That is, there's something else I'm praying for. In addition to these things, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now here's what Paul's saying. Paul was praying that they would recognize something. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I, I want God to open your heart to something. I want you to recognize something. He's praying that they would have a deep realization, not just in their head, but in their heart. A deep understanding, not just in their head, but in their heart. Paul is saying, I'm praying God would open your eyes. Not your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart so that you could understand and realize something. Paul does not ask God to give them what they don't have. He prays that God will reveal to them what they already have. I want to say that again because that is so good. 
when Paul is praying about this, he is not asking God to give them something they don't have. He's asking God to reveal to them what they already have. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be opened. I'm praying that you realize what you already have in Christ Jesus. And he mentions three things that are available to every believer. He, means, he mentions three things that we already have if we will just recognize it. Those three things are these. Number one, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be opened so that you can understand the hope to which he has called you. You see it right there in the text. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The word hope in the Bible does not mean hope so. Like a teenager who is hoping to get a phone for Christmas. No, the, the word hope in the Bible means the certainty of what we have. The certainty of what's to come. Our hope as a Christian is not in what we hope will happen. Our hope as a Christian is the certainty of what God has already done for us and what God will provide for us. In fact, listen to this. The hope that you have as a believer should touch every area of your life. Here's what I mean by that. The hope that we have as Christians should touch our past, our present, and our future. That is, there's no part of our lives that is not touched by a relationship with God. There's no part of our lives that is not influenced, affected by our relationship with God. There is no part of our lives that, that is not enhanced by our relationship with God. Let me show you this in Scripture. Put your finger in Ephesians, go to the left, and find the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And get a pen ready to mark your Bible or to write down some notes here. Paul's talking again about the hope to which he has called you. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, we can be hopeful about the past... We can be hopeful about the past because through Christ our sins have been forgiven. Any, anybody here grateful that your past has been forgiven by God? Look what he says in chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. There is no condemnation. Yeah, but what about, there is no condemnation. Yeah, but, but I did this. There is no condemnation. But what about that time when there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Paul says, I want to tell you something. You have a hope in your calling. And part of that hope is whatever is in your past is in your past. And God has forgiven it. God has forgotten it. Not only is our relationship affected in our past, but also it affects the hope we have in the present. In chapter 8 again, here's how Paul says it in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That is, regardless of what your present is like, regardless of what you're going through right now, regardless of what you might be experiencing, regardless of how good or how bad it may be, we know that in all things, God is working for our good. Regardless of whether you understand it or not, regardless of whether you, you like it or not, Paul says, listen, God is at work in all things. So our present is affected by our relationship with God. 
But praise God, our future is affected as well. Look what he says in chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings, what we're going through right now, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul, I want to tell you something about your future. It is so much better than you could ever imagine and so much better than what you're going through right now. That's what he means by the hope of our calling, the hope to which he has called you. That our relationship with God affects every area of our lives so that when you pray for another Christian, pray that they would realize that their lives are secure in God's hands. When you're praying for your spouse, when you're praying for your children, when you're praying for your grandchildren, when you're praying for your friends, here's how you pray. Paul says, pray that they would understand the hope of, the, of their calling. That is that their life, past, present, and future, is secure in his hands. Number two, Paul says, when you're praying, pray about the riches that they would understand. Their eyes would be open to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Look at verse 18. I want you to read it in your Bibles back in Ephesians 1. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that is, the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would recognize something, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which is called you. And then he says, I'm also praying about this, that your eyes would be enlightened to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now listen very carefully. This is a difficult phrase to understand. If I were to come to you and sit beside you and open the Bible and say, hey, hey, what do you think that means? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What do you think that means? Probably you would be like me and say, I don't know. Sounds good, but I'm not sure I can explain it. Let me tell you what I think it means. I have studied it and studied it and studied it. Let me tell you, first of all, what I don't think it means. That might be a good place to start. What it doesn't mean is this. It is not saying, read it carefully, in order that you may know the hope to which is called you, the riches of your glorious inheritance of the saints. That's not what it says. That's the way we might read it. Your glorious inheritance. It says His glorious inheritance. Again, it's a difficult passage to understand, but it seems to indicate, watch this, seems to indicate that God gets something out of our salvation too. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Here's what happens at the salvation experience. When we trust Christ as Savior, we get Him, and He gets us. Now, who gets the better part of that deal? Pretty obvious, right? But evidently, listen, I got excited when I was studying this. Evidently, God thinks He got the best part of the deal. Evidently, listen to this, evidently he considered you eminently worth saving. What if, verse 18, is not talking about what you got when you got saved. What if, verse 18, is talking about what God got when you got saved. You know what God got when you got saved? He got you. Look at it again in verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That, that is, I want you to understand this in order that you may know the hope to which has called you, the riches, watch this, read it carefully, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. What if God considered you His treasure? Isn't that kind of what Romans 5.8 talks about? But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. That's hard for some of you to accept because you don't feel worthy. You don't feel treasured. Some of you have grown up hard. You've had difficult circumstances. And you look at your life and you especially look at your past and you think, I'm not worthy of God. I'm not worthy of a relationship with Him. I don't feel like God's excited to have me in His family. I feel like God kind of would wish that I wasn't part of His family. I feel like God kind of wishes that I wasn't even on the earth anymore. I just don't feel worthy of God. I understand that. I, let me tell you an experience I had <clears throat> recently. A couple of weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, uh, Lisa and I went out before church at Arnold's up in Powdersville to, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, just to get a bite to eat before church. And I got the hamburger plate, which is, you know, the good hamburger and a big pile of french fries. And <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I like to just cover my fries in ketchup. I don't, I'm not one of the, I don't just put a little dab there on the plate and then dip them. No, I don't do that. I smother them in ketchup. That's just the way I do it. Now, I don't know why I did this. The only thing I remember is I was looking at Lisa. She had my attention, and I was thinking about something I was going to say to her, and I reach over to my right, in my peripheral vision, I reach over to my right to get the red ketchup bottle and cover my fries. I mean, instead of picking up the red ketchup bottle, I picked up the red water glass and dumped my water on my French fries. <laughs> Have you ever put ice water on your French fries? Don't try. They don't taste that good. Lisa started laughing. She said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't intend to do this. I didn't plan to do this. I didn't want to do this. And have you ever talked to yourself after you do something like that? Man, I was talking to myself. I said, you're an idiot. Who pours water on their french fries? What is wrong with you? Then it, wasn't, it didn't help that the water not only went on the french fries, it went all over the table and then all over the floor. And so Lisa and I clean up the water on the, on the table. And then the, by that time, the waiter comes by and he starts cleaning up the water on the floor. Once he gets it cleaned up, he turns to me and says, Sir, I'll bring you another glass of water. Would you like that in a sippy cup? <laughs> you don't believe me, you ask my wife after the service. <laughs> then it got worse. At the end, he brought us the check. He laid it down and said, hey, would you guys like a to-go cup? And he looked at me and said, so you can spill it in the car? <laughs> By God's grace, he got a tip. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Isn't life like that, though? You ever had those times when you did something you didn't expect you, to, you would do? You ever had those times when you did something that embarrassed you? Ever do those... Have those times when you just kind of mess up and you do something stupid and you, you say, well, you're, you're such an idiot. And it doesn't help that the people around you pile on. It doesn't help that, the, that your wife or your husband says, I, I knew you'd do that. You always mess up. You never get it right. It doesn't help that your friends are saying, see, you're an idiot. I've been trying to tell you for a long time. It doesn't help that the people around you are negative and piling on. Can I tell you something about God? He never piles on. 
In fact, when you do your worst, when you do something you thought you'd never do, when you do something that you cannot explain, when you do something that makes no sense at all, He wraps His arms around you and says, You are my treasure. How do you explain that? It's just the amazing love of God. That's the only way to explain it. And Paul says, church, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you understand the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. I'm praying that you would understand that that somehow you are of great worth to God even if you don't feel like it. Now, we can't fully understand that. We can't totally comprehend it. But we can marvel that God has said it is so. And Paul tells us in Romans 8.38, just to remind you, he says, nothing, this is how much God treasures you, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. He lists a lot of things, and Paul said, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love. You are His inheritance. You are His treasure. God loves you. He treasures you. You are special to God and He is glad to have you in His family. Now here's why that's important. Listen to me. When we lose focus that we are treasured by God, we begin to treasure other things instead of God. Other things and other people begin to take priority in our lives. So when you pray for another Christian, when you pray for your spouse, when you pray for your kids, when you pray for your grandkids, pray that they would realize that they have incredible worth to God. Pray that they realize that they are loved even if they hate who they are. Pray that they'd realize how special they are to their Heavenly Father. Even if they don't feel special at all. Number three, Paul says, I'm praying for the eyes of your heart to be opened. I'm praying you'd understand the hope of the calling. I'm praying that you'd understand the riches of His, of his inheritance. Then he says, and I'm also praying this. Verse 19. I want your eyes to be opened so that you could understand His incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power. You know what, what that phrase means? There's nothing else like it. It's as if Paul, look up here, it's as if Paul is stacking words on top of one another. His incomparably great power. It's like he's stacking up these words trying to describe this power of God. Now, I've tried to figure out how's the best way to explain to you the power of God. And let me just illustrate it this way. On a macro level, for example, if you want to understand the power of God, just look up towards the sun and realize that the power of God placed the sun in the sky. And do you know how wide the sun is? 864,000 miles in diameter. Hear that again. 864,000 miles in diameter. And the power of God placed it and keeps it there in the sky. That's the macro level. If you want to look at a micro level at the power of God, you can see the power of God when He created the atom, which is less than one millionth the thickness of the human hair. The mighty power of God that could create something that powerful, that strong. But more important than than any of that kind of power 
It's the power of God that brought Jesus up from the grave. Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that the eyes of your heart would be opened. And he says very specifically, in his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like, notice this, the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying, church, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that you'd understand how powerful God is and that you have that power available to you. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, Mount Airy. You don't need to feel inadequate. You don't need to feel defeated. You don't need to feel discouraged because we have God to help us. He has power you don't have. Paul says, I'm asking, I'm praying that God the Heavenly Father will open your eyes to help you understand there is a power greater than the power you have. Just a few minutes ago, I was talking to a dear friend and he was telling me about a situation where he struggled with something for 30 years. He said, one day I woke up and I finally admitted, God, I can't do this, but you can. He said, within two weeks I had defeated that and laid it down. How do you explain that? There is a mighty power that is greater than us. Stop living like God's no bigger than you are. Start living like He has mighty power. Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you could understand you have a power available to you to help you through life. What a great thing to pray for somebody that you love. To pray that they would understand this incredible power that's available to them. Through Jesus Christ. So let's review. I'm going to pray for another believer. Number one, follow along in your notes. Make sure you get them right. Number one, thank God for the people He's brought into your life. God, I thank You for so-and-so. I thank You for bringing them into my life. Begin there. Thank God for the people He's brought into your life. Number two, ask God to give them a deeper relationship with Jesus. Ask God to grow them in their relationship with Jesus. Number three, ask God to keep them focused on what they already have in Him. I had a man after the first service came to me outside. He said, Preacher, I've never thought about what I already have in God. He said, that was eye-opening for me to understand not what I need, but what I already have in God. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. He said, I'm praying that you would understand the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you would understand what you already have. In him. Now can I remind you one final thing? These are prison prayers we're looking at. So you don't have to be in ideal circumstances. Pray for somebody else. Life doesn't have to be going good for you to spend time praying for somebody else. In fact, when life is not going so good, that might be a perfect time for you to get your eyes off of your problems and stop saying, oh me, and start praying for somebody else. These are prison prayers. Let me tell you something else about these prison prayers. Paul was separated from these people. He couldn't get to them. He was in prison. They were in Ephesus. But he could still pray for them. Those separated by miles. You may be separated from people that you know and love. You may not even know where your son or daughter is. But you can still pray for them. 
You might be separated by miles or you might be separated by a bad experience that you had in your family and you've never talked to them since then. But you still can pray for them though you're separated because these are prison prayers. And God is everywhere. God can hear your prayer and God can work in their life wherever they are. That's why you pray. That's why you pray. I'm so glad. I am so glad. I don't have to walk this life alone. I'm so glad I have a Heavenly Father who walks, the, walks it with me. Paul says, I'm praying for you, church, that you would understand that very thing. Let me pray with you now. Father, I thank you that you have indeed brought special people into our lives. So grateful for my family, for my wife and my kids, for my parents, for my brothers. It's the special believers you have brought into my life. So grateful for that, Lord. I pray for this church, God. Because you brought some very special people into my life when I came here in 1996. I'm thankful for them. And I ask you, God, that you continue to work in our lives and in this place. Give us a deeper relationship with Jesus. And I ask you, Father, to keep us focused on what we have in you. Keep us focused on the hope of our calling, the riches of the inheritance of in, in you and Father keep us focused on that mighty power that is at work power that's greater than ours and we ask it and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name Amen